Chapter 9 of The House of the Wolfings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The House of the Wolfings by William Morris. Chapter 9 The Ancient Man of the Dalings. There still hung the more part of the stay-at-homes round about the roof, but on the plain beneath the tufts were all the wains of the host drawn up round about a square like the streets about a market-place. All these now had their tilts rigged over them, some white, some black, some red, some tawny of hue, and some, which were of the beamings, green like the leafy tree. The warriors of the host went down into this wain-town, which they had not fenced in any way, since they in no wise looked for any onset there. And there were their thralls diding the feast for them, and a many of the Daling kindred, both men and women, went with them. But some men did the Dalings bring into their roof, for there was room for a good many beside their own folk. So they went over the bridge of turf into the garth, and into the great roof of the Dalings, and amongst these were the two war-dukes. So when they came to the dais it was as fair all round about there as might well be, and there sat elders and ancient warriors to welcome the guests, and among them was the old carl who had sat on the edge of the burg to watch the faring of the host, and had shuddered back at the sight of the wolfing banner. And when the old carl saw the guests he fixed his eyes on Theodulf, and presently came up and stood before him. And Theodulf looked on the old man, and greeted him kindly, and smiled on him. But the carl spake not till he had looked on him a while, and at last he fell a-trembling, and reached his hands out to Theodulf's bare head, and handled his curls and caressed them, as a mother does with her son, even if he be a grizzled-haired man when there is none by. And at last he said, how dear is the head of the mighty, and the apple of the tree that blooms with the life of the people, which is, and yet shall be! It is helmed with ancient wisdom, and the long-remembered thought, that liveth when dead is the iron, and its very rust but not. Ah, were I but young as aforetime, I would fare to the battle-stead, and stand amidst of the spear-hail for the praise of the hands and the head. Then his hands left Theodolf's head, and strayed down to his shoulders and his breast, and he felt the cold rings of the hauberk, and let his hands fall down to his side again, and the tears gushed out of his old eyes, and again he spake. O house of the heart of the mighty, O breast of the battle-lord, why art thou coldly hidden from the flickering flame of the sword? I know thee not, nor see thee. Thou art as the fells afar, where the fathers have their dwelling, and the halls of Gautam are. The wind blows wild betwixt us, and the cloud-rack flies along, and high aloft enfoldeth the dwelling of the strong. They are, as of old they have been, but their hearths flame not for me, and the kindness of their feast-halls mine eyes shall never see. Theodore's lips still smiled on the old man but a shadow had come over his eyes and his brow, and the chief of the Dalings and their mighty guests stood by listening intently, with the knit brows of anxious men, nor did any speak till the ancient man again betook him to words. 
I came to the house of the foeman when hunger made me a fool. And the foeman said, Thou art weary, lo, set thy foot on the stool. And I stretched out my feet, and was shackled, and he spake with a dastard smile. O guest, thine hands are heavy, now rest them for a while. So I stretched out my hands, and the hand gyves lay cold on either wrist, and the wood of the wolf had been better than that feast hall had I wist that this was the ancient pitfall and the long-expected trap, and that now for my heart's desire I had sold the world's good hap. Therewith the ancient man turned slowly away from Theodulf, and departed sadly to his own place. Theodulf changed countenance but little, albeit those about him looked strangely on him, as though if they durst they would ask him what these words might be, and if he from his hidden knowledge might fit a meeting to them. For to many there was a word of warning in them, and to some an evil omen of the days soon to be, and scarce any one heard those words, but he had a misgiving in his heart, for the ancient man was known to be foreseeing, and wild and strange his words seemed to them. But Agni would make light of it, and he said, Asmund the old is of good will, and wise he is, but he hath great longings for the deeds of men, when he hath tidings of battle, for a great warrior and a red-hand hewer he hath been in times past. He loves the kindred, and deems it ill if he may not fare afield with them, for the thought of dying in the straw is hateful to him. Yea, said another, and moreover, he hath seen sons whom he loved slain in battle, and when he seeth a warrior in his prime, he becometh dear to him, and he feareth for him. Yet, said a third, Asmund is foreseeing, and may be, Theodulf, thou wilt wot of the drift of these words, and tell us thereof. But Theodulf spake not of the matter, though in his heart he pondered it. So the guests were led to the table, and the feast began, within the hall and without it, and wide about the plain, and the dailing maidens went in bands trimly decked out throughout all the host, and served the warriors with meat and drink, and sang the overword to their lays, and smote the harp, and drew the bow over the fiddle till it laughed and wailed and chuckled, and were blithe and merry withal. And great was the glee on the eve of battle. And if Theodore's heart were overcast, his face showed it not, but he passed from hall to Wainburg, and from Wainburg to hall again, blithe and joyous with all men. And thereby he raised the hearts of men, and they deemed it good that they had gotten such a war-duke, meet to uphold all hearts of men, both at the feast and in the fray. End of chapter 9